You can find that in your Bible. Um, it's on page 621 of your Bible, Psalm 138. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods I will sing your praise. I will bow down towards your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your, your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you when they hear what you decreed. May, may they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. And this is what I was meant to read. One Psalm 139. I got it wrong. <laughs> I thought I'd give you both. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Reading is from Matthew, chapter 13, just verses 44 to 46, and can be found on page 980 in the Pew Bibles. Sorry, I've been trouble finding this. Here we go. Uh, the parables. They are the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's a joy to be with you this morning and hope you had a Merry Christmas and I hope all of your gift giving was outstanding, that you got what you were looking for and that you wanted. Um, We had an extraordinary Christmas because my daughter, Lauren, who lives in Narrabeen, she's married to an Aussie, um, her birthday was December 21st, and at her birthday party, she went into labor, and we had a We had a little baby boy, James Mace, that was born right here at Manly Hospital on the 22nd of December. So it's just been a wonderful Christmas with great gifts from God. Yeah, it's been amazing. But uh, yeah, I want to talk briefly this morning, just sort of a post-Christmas message. It could also be like a pre-New Year's message based on this parable that we read, the the pearl of great price and the, the hidden treasure. Because... You know, we love gifts. You know, it's great giving gifts. It's wonderful receiving gifts, especially when they're things that we really enjoy and that we are looking forward to having. And when we look at these parables, it's speaking about gifts of life, the, the things of life that are really of great value. And so throughout this chapter 13, it's actually a series of parables that Jesus is sharing, describing what the kingdom of God is like. And then we see these two parables here that are actually, it's the same point, but it's, Jesus is expressing these in, um, in, lang- in a language, in an illustration that the people at this time would absolutely under- understand. And so what I love about chapter 13 is that Jesus is constantly saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he gives a parable. Now, what's amazing about this and wonderful is that Jesus is telling us what God is like. And we all have that question, God, what are you like? And I often think that what changes the way that I think about God is when I find out what he thinks about me. Isn't that the journey of going through the word of God? We discover what God thinks about us, and over the course of life, as we study the word of God and we, we learn the scriptures, we, I, I mean, I'm still learning new things about God's character and about God's holiness. And, and when I find out what God thinks through the scriptures and what he thinks about me, it changes the way that I relate to him, that I think about him. So what Jesus is doing here is he's giving revelation through parables about what he is like, about what the kingdom is like. You know, Galen, who was that second century philosopher, said this. He was a secular philosopher. And here's what he said about parables. Most people are unable to follow a demonstrative argument consecutively. Hence, they need parables and benefit from them. Just as now we see the people called Christians drawing their faith from parables, and yet sometimes acting in the same way as those who philosophize. And in their keen pursuit of justice, have attained a pitch not inferior to that 
of genuine philosophers. So here in the second century, you know, the philosophers were esteemed as the thinkers of society. But it was amazing as the secular philosophers looked at the Christians of how they had uh, incredible wisdom and understanding of justice through simple stories like parables. So these parables are packed with power for our lives. And so I want to look at this parable here this morning like a coin, like two sides of a coin. And how it talks about value, what are of, what's of great value. Number one, how we are valued in the kingdom of God. Our value we see in the kingdom. And then secondly, how we're to be valuing the kingdom of God. Those are the two sides of the coin. So here we have these illustrate. Now, they would have understood this, this, this field with this treasure. And so this man discovers this treasure, he, and he buys the whole field. See, in this day and age, they didn't have banks. There was no Commonwealth Bank to put your money in. It was protected, you know, by the, there was no stocks, no bonds. If you acquired a large sum of money, you had to find out a way to stash that money. And so a couple ways that they would do that in this time is they would take a portion of the money and they would buy a precious gem, a precious piece of jewelry. And they would, they would wear it maybe on special occasions. But the, the reason for that is if they needed to flee in haste, there was trouble in their town or, the, you know, there are all kinds of issues going on in this society. They could take their value, it's, it's like their savings bond, and they could, they could run with it. They could flee with this thing of great price. Another thing that they would do is uh, they would take a sum of money and they would put it in a, a vessel, maybe a clay vessel or wooden box, and they'd find a field and they'd bury it in a place that only they knew where it was. So that at the time they needed to access those funds, they could go find that place and dig up their, tre- dig up their wealth. So that's the context in which Jesus is speaking about. He's speaking about the kingdom. And he's speaking about that there's a treasure. The kingdom is like a treasure hidden in the field. What is that treasure? And the kingdom is like a pearl that a merchant it has such great value that this merchant would give everything. But the key here is the everything that's given. What is that treasure? Well, I see it like this. First of all, here's what the kingdom is like. We first must, under, to understand the kingdom of God, we must, first must understand our value to him. When I think of a pearl, a pearl, it's, you know, its value, it, you know, it's, it's in the way that it's formed. There's very little to a pearl. Actually, if you crush it, all you have is, is lime. It's not cut like a, like a ruby or a diamond. It's formed, the value of the pearl is how, it comes into existence. And how does it come into existence? You know, there's an there's a oyster in the ocean, and a little uh, grain of sand gets into that oyster, and so the pearl starts out as an irritation. It's this irritating grain of sand, and now this oyster must deal with this ir- irritation. And so what does the oyster do? It forms this this solution that, that covers the irritating grain of sand, and he brings it, and over time, this irritating grain of sand becomes 
a beautiful pearl, a, a pearl that is of great value. And so when you think about it, the pearl is the oyster's answer to that which wounded it. And so the pearl itself owes its existence to the oyster's willingness to cover that which has, was cutting it. Now think about that. This is what the kingdom is like. And when I think of it in those terms, I think of the gospel. And I think of what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus came to bring the kingdom. The kingdom was unleashed through the death on the cross and his resurrection to every one of us. And Jesus had to die on the cross because we're sinners. We've sinned against God. We're that irritating grain of sand, you see. We were the ones cutting and wounding. We're the ones that wounded God. Even from, from our early ages, in our sin, we've been wounding God. We've been wounding others. We've been wounding ourselves. And so there must be a, a remedy for our, our ways and our, and our ways of hurting others. So we've all been wounded by sin. And we've wounded others by sin. But God in his great grace sent his son, Jesus Christ. And he saw that field. You know, we read in 1 John chapter 2 that he is the propitiation. The word propitiation means to satisfy the requirements. So Jesus on the cross, he satisfied the righteous requirements of, of God the Father. And it says propitiation for our sin, not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And don't you see, Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever should believe in him shall have everlasting life. So he looked at the world, but inside the world was you. You could even put your name in that verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved Pete, for God so loved Bruce. For, for, you could put your, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the world. And you're that treasure in this world. God loves, that's how much value you have to God, that God himself would actually give everything just to have you. It's amazing. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sent him just like a merchant. We read in Philippians 2 that Jesus left the splendor of heaven. That he was being worshipped by myriads of angels, and he left heaven to come to this earth. He laid aside his divine rights that he might serve us and purchase us like a merchant. And in the cross, the work of the cross, the gospel says that God has covered us. See, our faith in Christ and in the gospel, we are forgiven of all of our sins. We are forgiven of those things that we have wounded God and wounded others. And so there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But that's just only half of it, as wonderful as forgiveness is. We're also justified through the gospel. That means that God looks at me as if I had never sinned. He looks at me through the, the righteousness of Christ. So he takes my sin, but in addition, God gives us his righteousness, and he, so he looks at us in the perfection of Christ. He took my record so that I could take his record, the record of Jesus Christ. Amazing. 
And when you think of justification, what that speaks about is a covering. Because mankind has been trying to cover themselves for in all human history. You look at, in Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned. They ate of the tree of good and evil. And the first thing that they did, what did they do? They, they knew that they sinned. They tried to hide from God. And then they tried to cover themselves, remember, with what? Fig leaves. Now, I don't know if you have ever felt a fig, held a fig leaf, but it's very rough. <laughs> so, so it's like sandpaper. So they had basically... Their attempt to cover themselves and their own sin and their own shame, they, you know, they went and got some sandpaper underwear, you know, to try and deal with it. And that's, that's what we try and do as humans. We're trying to cover our shame. We're trying to, we do that in, in different ways. We, with, with our careers or maybe if I could just, you know, have enough um, respect or if I could, or, or even our good looks or, or, or our possessions or, you know, or our titles, and we, we look, there are ways that the human race tries to d- cover that deep-seated sense of their own shame. And we're all in that boat, and we are trying to cover our sin, but it's always so inadequate. But what the gospel tells us is that Jesus can completely and perfectly cover us through his shed blood. Because what did God do in Genesis? God's first act of love for Adam and Eve but an animal was killed, and he covered them with the skins of that animal. And it's, that's prophetic with what God, God was saying very, in the very first chapters of the Bible. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to purchase you, and I'm going to cover you. And there's going to be an ultimate covering, covering in my son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom is like. He's the merchant. We're not seeking after God. God is seeking after us. There's not one that seeks after God. And so the message of the gospel is not you in your best efforts trying to attain to God. It's about God seeking after you. And world religions teach, you know, how to reach up to God or, or transcend up to God. But the gospel is God reaching out to you. And reaching out to us. And it's the good news. You know, I have three children. When they were young, we played a game, hide-and-go-seek. We all know that game. It's here in Australia, I'm sure, as well. And when they were little, my three children are Isaac, Lauren, and Seth. And Isaac's the oldest. So I'd count down from 10. We'd have this lower level in our house. And I'd count down from 10 and... The children would run up the stairs, and they'd find their hiding places. And Isaac, being the oldest, you know, I'd count down, three, two, one, ready or not, here I come, I'd yell. He would always find the best hiding place, right? So I'd come upstairs, and, and, you know, he was, you know, four blocks, you know, away. He's down the street somewhere. And Lauren would find a very adequate uh, hiding place as well, our middle child. But our youngest at this time is so funny. Seth could never find a hiding place. He would, just, he would just panic. There was just nothing good enough. There was not a place to, you know, that, that, that was a good place. And so I would walk up the stairs, and I would hear him just running in circles, just the pitter-patter of his little feet. And so I'd, I'd stomp on the stairs, and I'd be walking up, and, you know, 
making sure, giving him plenty of time to find a place to hide. And, and you, could, you can sense, you could feel the panic as I was coming up the stairs. And so what he would do is he'd just plop down in the middle of the room and close his eyes like this. And he's thinking, if I can't see dad, he can't see me. And then I'd walk around, where's Seth? Where's Seth? And he'd be trying not to, (laughs) holding it in. He's a little guy. And then you grab him. Oh, here he is. You grab him and you tickle him. And that's the funnest part of hide-and-go-seek, right? I mean, what what kind of a parent would I be if I just said, you know, count down from 10 and say, okay, honey, let's go out for dinner, you know? It's a good way of babysitting. (laughs) No, the funnest part of hide-and-go-seek is being found. That's where the laughter is. What kind of parent would I be if I never found my children? And I think we're all like that. I think all of us, deep inside of every one of us, we want to be found. We're longing to be found. We're longing to be found, though, by someone who unconditionally and absolutely loves us. Someone who knows who we are and they love us. That's what we're longing for. Every person is longing for that. It's the basic human need. So we're that irritating grain of sand causing pain in the heart of God, and then the gospel came. Now, flip the coin. As we see our value to God, our value in the kingdom, it's pretty special. It speaks to our hearts. But to see that changes everything, and here's the other side of the coin. Because when you find something so beautiful like that, so life-changing, so loving, so worth it, you give everything just to have that. And so when I think forward about this next year, my prayer would be is that we discover our value to God and that he has sent the, the rescue plan to come and purchase us. And that we'd be found by him and we'd be blessed by his love. But then that would define what we live for. That nothing else in this world would would matter as much as the kingdom of God. As the love of Jesus Christ. Because once we know that, once we know the gospel, it means everything. See, this is a love story. It's about God finding us and to see that grace, something happens to us. And it's the paradigm shift of our lives. And the things that we thought was of great value maybe yesterday, now in the light of the gospel, it it doesn't really matter that much maybe now. It's temporal. It's not as... So to see the gospel, we orient our life around it. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, one of his final sayings, it was an Aramaic word, he said, tetelestai as he was bearing the sins of the whole world. The the penalty for our sins. Every sin that was ever committed by every single human being in the history of the world, Jesus was laid upon Christ, and he took the punishment for that, and he cried out, Tetelestai, which means several things. Paid in full. It is finished. It was, a, it, was a, it was a term that was very understood. It was a term that would have been used 
in several different contexts in this society. One would be a judge, for example, in the courtroom, and the gavel would go down, and he would pronounce the judgment. He would say, Tetelestai, and the, and the judgment was issued. It would be a word that was used by an artist who was working on a, a, a painting, perhaps, a, a beautiful work of art. And perhaps he spent six months or a year on this work of art. And now it's coming to the final stages and put the last brushes or the last little chisel on that work of art. And the artist would stand back and he'd say, Tetelestai, it's finished, completed. It was also a word that was used by a merchant who would travel from a far-off land seeking commodities of great value like gems and pearls or textiles or spices and he'd find what he's looking for he'd bring the money to the bargaining table and he'd put the money bag there on the table and he'd say to paid in full my friends this is what life's all about this is what the kingdom of god is all about God's love for us, that he would give everything just to have us and allow us to know him and walk with him. And to see that changes everything about life. It changes everything about how we see people, money, careers, everything changes. When you know that you're covered, when you know that you're accepted, when you know that you're validated, not by your own works, but by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, nothing else matters. We stop living for acceptance from others. Now we can be a blessing. We live our lives out of security and confidence. Only then can we truly love other people. Only then can we truly uh, work in our, in our jobs, in our uh, and, and, and live our lives in a meaningful way that has purpose and has mission to it. Because all of our lives, we're trying to validate ourselves and covering ourselves, but to see the gospel, God has done that for us, each and every one of us, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's pretty great. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for all of your blessings. Our family, our friends. Lord, how you richly provide for us. And Lord, we've sinned against you and we've sinned against others. But we thank you for Jesus who bore our sin who paid the price and rose again. We thank you for the great rescue mission that was for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would redefine our life, that you would help us to reassess and consider these things, that we might live, Lord, in the blessing, the full blessing of what Jesus has come to give us to give us life, and that more abundantly. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.